Whenever we run Alpha as a church, Alpha is an environment we create to explore and question the Christian faith. One of the most interesting nights is always the third week. The topic is, why did Jesus die? And yet, when you break around in smaller tables to discuss the video, it doesn't zoom in on the cross and atonement. The discussion actually centers around forgiveness. And it always reminds me, as someone who's accustomed to talking about forgiveness, how odd our approach toward forgiveness is to the average person. Almost always, the common sentiment among those discussing the topic of forgiveness is something like this. I don't mind forgiving someone so long as they deserve it. And what they mean by that is so long as they're actually sorry and contrite and have asked to be forgiven. And this makes sense because generally when you forgive someone, it's for the sake of reconciliation. It's for the sake of restoring that relationship. And so you don't want to forgive if someone isn't ready to do that. But tucked away in this notion and common outlook toward forgiveness is this idea that some people are deserving of forgiveness while some others are not. And usually, I would say almost always during these discussions, someone will say that actually the Christian approach to forgiveness is irresponsible because some things do not deserve to be forgiven. And the Christian approach to forgiveness can be irresponsible because forgiveness just gives people an excuse to keep doing wrong things because they're going to be forgiven anyway. So the outlook is that forgiveness doesn't really change people. It can be abused. And on all of the nights of Alpha, and I've run Alpha more times than I can count now, this is the night that stirs me the most because people share deeply painful stories. And when you listen and you empathize, it makes sense that they don't want to forgive. It makes sense that they hear that we should forgive the way Christ has forgiven us and that they say, this just doesn't make sense to me. And yet it stirs me because I know that forgiveness isn't logical, and yet it's also how God is reconciling the entire world to himself. The Sermon on the Mount, which we've been studying for many weeks now, is Christ laying out a vision of the kingdom of God for us. He's saying this is what your life can and will look like when the kingdom of God breaks into your heart, breaks into your community. This is what it looks like. And you can't join this vision of the kingdom of God apart from forgiveness. There is no way into the kingdom without having first been forgiven. So it makes sense when Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us this petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is essential. And yet in all of the things he teaches us about prayer, this is the only petition he feels the need to explain further. He says in verse 14, 15, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so forgiveness is essential to the way we pray. But if we are going to have that prayer upon our lips, Jesus says you can't just have it on your lips. You need to have it in your life. It needs to be put into practice. If you're to be forgiven, you forgive. Forgiveness changes us. And if you don't forgive, you're out of step with the kingdom of God. So I want to acknowledge before we journey into this passage that forgiveness isn't easy. And right now you might be thinking, 
of someone that you don't want to forgive or someone that you can't comprehend how they would be worthy of forgiveness. Or you might be thinking, Alistair, you don't know my situation. And you're right, I don't. But you do. So take a moment to acknowledge that and to hold it tenderly in your heart and your mind and to say, okay, Lord, let's journey through this passage and see what you might have to say to these very vulnerable spots of our hearts. So here's the first thing we need to know. If we're going to pray the prayer, forgive us our debts, you have to believe you need to be forgiven. Step one, you have to believe you need to be forgiven to pray this prayer. When someone says sorry in our culture, though, what's the common response? Don't worry about it. That is the Canadian version of forgiveness. Now, perhaps this happens because people say sorry so frequently and for such trivial things that we can't be bothered to address it. And so we say, don't worry about it because really they shouldn't. But if there's a debt or a trespass or a sin, you know, the trifecta of versions of the Lord's Prayer, if there's a sin, don't worry about it, really doesn't cut it. Because a debt or a trespass or a sin is not flippant. You can't just not worry about it. It's an offense and it needs to be named and properly addressed. And the three words need to be spoken, I forgive you. You see, in our culture, we're very used to hearing, I'm sorry. But it's actually incredibly rare for someone to say, I forgive you. A friend of mine who may or, not be, may, or may not be in the audience uh, was telling me about how she accidentally stood up one of our pastors for lunch. And I'll give you a hint, it wasn't me. Anyways, she felt terrible and apologized profusely and, and our pastor responded, that's okay, you're forgiven. Now my friend said to me, I was struck by it because it made me feel quite different from the normal response of, don't worry about it. He recognized that I'd been thoughtless and forgave it, whereas the norm just sweeps it under the rug without ever dealing with it. You see, when someone says, I forgive you, it does stop us in our tracks, doesn't it? It feels different. Because if we hear these words, whatever we've done can't just be easily dismissed. It needs to be named and addressed. And these three words, I forgive you, acknowledges that we have in fact done something wrong. So before we can honestly pray, forgive us our debts, we must accept our need to pray it. A pastor who had served for decades in ministry recently retired and he shared some of his nuggets of wisdom from a lifetime of serving the church. And one of his concerns is how the sinfulness of sin has slowly disappeared. The sinfulness of sin. And I think he's right. If I look at our wider culture, if I look even within our church, if I'm more honest, even if I look in my own heart, I would prefer to diminish the gravity and weight of sin and sweep it under the rug. You know, can't we just talk about sin and using words like mistakes or brokenness and look at it a little more softly. Like, does it need to be this great affront before God? And if you've ever had any of these thoughts or questions, it shows that we're moving towards di diminishing the sinfulness of sin. We want sin to be less severe than the biblical picture. I'm really uncomfortable by this quote by J.I. Packer, but I think it's important to share. If we are silent about sin, 
wrath, because he's English, and judgment, and preacher Christ who only saves from self and the sorrows of this world, we are not preaching the Christ of the Bible. Such preaching may soothe some, but it will help nobody. For a Christ who is not seen and sought as a savior from sin will not be found to save from self or from anything else. And so if we're going to pray, forgive us our debts, we have to accept the sinfulness of sin. And in our passage, Jesus actually uses two different words to help expand our vision of what sin is. There's five in the Greek Two are found in the Lord's Prayer, one in the prayer and one in his explanation. And the two words he uses are debt and trespass. This is how he fills out the sinfulness of sin for us. Debt and trespass. Now we get debt in our culture. We know what it is to overextend ourselves, to live beyond our means, to find ourselves in a situation where our debt is ballooning and increasing and we're not able to pay it down because of our spending habits and because of the accumulating interest. And we know how debt can crush and ruin lives. And so we have a debt before God. We have a debt before God, and it's accumulated through trespasses. We've gone where we should not go. We have done what should not be done. The literal translation of this word is to miss the mark. And yet so often people say that and say it exactly to do the opposite of what it's meant to do. They say it's only missing the mark. Sin isn't so bad, you just kind of missed it. But what mark did you miss? It's to have missed the mark of why you were made. It is to have missed the mark of what it means to be human. You were created to love, and you missed the mark. And we talk about that flippantly. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And yet any time in a marriage where a spouse has been unfaithful and adultery has occurred, we're appalled. They miss the mark of love. And yet we can look at our own lives and we miss the mark of love every single day, but we don't find it all that appalling. You see, sin is not just breaking rules. It includes that. That's part of it. But it's actually a crime against love. You've missed the mark of love You've not received the love of God nor reflected it into the world the way God created us to do so. Debt and trespasses. And so Jesus says, if we're going to pray, we need to ask to be forgiven our debt. We can't overcome it. We don't have the resources to pay it down. We don't have enough time on this earth to ever make amends the way that would be required. Our sin requires the cross. It requires the words that only God can utter toward us, I forgive you. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, to keep in that ongoing relationship, that ongoing experience of knowing that God has forgiven us and does indeed continue to forgive us. But then he leaves us scratching our heads when he essentially says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That doesn't sound like the Christian message we're used to hearing, does it? So how do we make sense of this? If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Jesus is not teaching that forgiveness is conditional. He's teaching that forgiveness is transformational. Forgiveness is not conditional. He's saying it is transformational. So I want to explore this a little bit. As he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the Apostle Peter is one of the people soaking it in. 
And clearly this teaching on forgiveness struck a nerve with Peter. He's been ruminating and mulling it over. And in Matthew 18, he finally brings it to Jesus. And he has a question. He says, Lord, how often my brother would sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, according to the elders of Israel, the common wisdom of the day said that three times was the limit of forgiveness for any good Jew. And Peter grew up hearing this. But he also knows that Jesus is no ordinary or conventional rabbi. He knows he's probably going to say three isn't going to cut it. So he picks the number seven, which in Hebrew represents completeness and perfection. It sounds incredibly generous and pious. Peter is going above and beyond and saying, Lord, look how generous I can be in forgiving. And I love Peter for it. And then Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Peter's still aiming way too low. He says seven times, and Jesus uses the Jewish idiom for saying infinity. In Peter's mind, he thought he had already said infinity, and Jesus pulled the classic infinity plus one. And so we should take note of the context. Peter does not say that this brother who has sinned against him in this hypothetical scenario has come forward and asked for forgiveness. It actually sounds like a recurring repetitive sin that just keeps happening. Peter's saying, how many times should I forgive this person? And Jesus tells us something incredibly upside down. Don't count. Keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. It doesn't make sense. Jesus knows this. And that's why he offers us a parable that we now call the unforgiving servant. I'm going to paraphrase most of it for you and then land on the part that I think helps us this morning. There's a master. He has a servant who owes him a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars, like U.S. kind of debt. It's an off-the-charts number. It's inconceivable. How could anyone get this far in debt, and yet this servant has been so deep and rolling in frankincense and myrrh that he's chalked up this kind of debt? There's no way he could ever pay it back in his lifetime. It's insurmountable. No amount of work. He doesn't have enough time. He would have to live multiple lifetimes over and over again to ever pay back this debt. It's inconceivable how he got it. It's insurmountable. And yet this master releases him from the debt, forgives him of the entire debt, clean slate. And moments later, the same servant is on a walk and he runs into a fellow servant who owes him merely $10 and he chokes this individual, demands he pay the debt and puts him in debtor's prison. And so this forgiven forgiven servant who's been forgiven such an incredible debt, he shows us that this forgiveness has had no transformational effect on him. It's done nothing to him. And so word reaches to his master about how this servant has acted toward another servant. And here's what we read in Matthew 18, 32 through 35. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive from the heart. 
the point of this parable clarifies what Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount. You cannot genuinely receive God's forgiveness and remain unforgiving. Jesus is not teaching that forgiveness is conditional. He's teaching that forgiveness is transformational. Forgiveness changes us. One of my favorite stories, perhaps my favorite story, in all of the Gospels is it's Luke 7. And it helps us get this a little further. Jesus has been invited to dine with Simon the Pharisee. And it's a bit of a show. It's a big religious dinner. But then a woman of the city, a nice way of saying a prostitute, shows up at this dinner. And she gets down on her knees and starts washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And it is scandalous and it's controversial. And Simon the Pharisee says, you know, if this was truly someone who was special and religious and understood the kingdom of God, he wouldn't be allowing this to happen. And then Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, a parable. And once again, it's a parable about debt. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And this might be the most sheepish response recorded in all of scripture. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. There's a principle here that we have to get. Our love for God corresponds to how much we've been forgiven. Your love flows from forgiveness. Our love flows from an understanding of what God has done to forgive our debt. That our debt was not small. That we were much more like the servant in the parable. That we had this inconceivable and insurmountable debt. And yet God loved us and released us from it and forgave us. The great author and storyteller C.S. Lewis puts it this way. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. You see, if, God, if you don't think God has much to forgive in you, you're going to love little. But if you start to grasp how much God has forgiven the inexcusable in us, you're going to love much. Your love for God will parallel the weight and surpass it even of what you've been forgiven. And this is what Jesus says. Forgiveness is transformational. Forgiveness changes us. Forgive as you've been forgiven. If you don't forgive... You haven't been forgiven. Now, it's one thing to pray, forgive us our debts. I think most of us would be happy to pray that prayer. But it's another thing to start putting this into practice, to actually start forgiving other people. How do we not just say this with our lips, but actually live it out in our lives? And if any of you have been alive long enough, you know, like some situations that require forgiveness aren't all that complicated. But then there's other situations that are incredibly complex. But not every situation is all that complicated. Uh, the first time Julia and I went to New York, it was a five-day vacation in our first year of marriage. And if you've ever been to New York, you know you can't possibly take in the city in five days. But fortunately, Julia is the list maker in our marriage. And so she created a detailed list for each day of the sites and places we would go for our New York experience. And I was thrilled. But there was one place on the list on day four that really struck me as odd. Donut plant. 
And if you know Julia, like that is not her go-to thing that she'd want to do, like go get a donut. But she said, no, 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 you don't understand. We, we have to go to donut plant. You'll get it when we're there. Okay. And like for months leading up to this trip, I can't wait to get a donut from donut plant. Okay. And we fly to New York and it's like day one, we're, we're looking at all these things. Like, I just can't wait to get a donut from donut plant. We went to a musical. I can't wait for donut plant. Like, okay. So day four arrives, 30 minute walk from our hotel. We get to donut plant. We take in the glory of these donuts. We make our selections. We make our transaction. We get our donuts. And I turn from the counter and knock Julia's square on onto the floor. And so I pick it up, and I dust it off, I blow it off, hand it to her, and she refuses. And I say, okay, do you want me to buy you a new one? She said, no. Okay. Uh, she's like, let's just leave. I'm like, Whoa, you've, you've been telling me for months you want to come to Donut Planet. Let's get you a new donut. She said, let's just leave. And I said the most helpful thing you could say in that situation, which was, well, why are you making such a big deal out of a donut? Needless to say, it was a very quiet walk for several blocks. <laughs> Julia just wanted me to say sorry. But like a normal person, that was the last thing I was going to do. Instead, I dug into my point. You're making a big deal out of nothing. I, it was an accident. I offered to buy you a new one. I don't understand why we can't just go get you your donut. But eventually, I had to come to terms with myself the inexcusable part of myself that never wants to admit that I could ever possibly do something wrong. And so I said, sorry. And Julia said, I love you. I will forgive you tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes forgiveness isn't all that complicated. We get into relational quarrels. We hurt one another. We're sharp with our words. We forget to show up, or we let someone down, or we knock a donut to the ground. We name the wrong, we take ownership over it, we apologize, we say sorry. And if you're on the receiving end of a, an apology, then you say those words, and I'd encourage you as Canadians, I'm a Canadian, to learn these three words. I forgive you. I forgive you. It's not that complicated. It makes sense. Sometimes forgiveness is simple, but sometimes forgiveness is anything but simple. It's complex. How do you forgive theft, betrayal, adultery, or murder? And you've likely heard shocking stories about acts of forgiveness towards gross atrocities. A little over 10 years ago in Lancaster uh, County, Pennsylvania, uh, a lone gunman entered into an Amish school and murdered five Amish girls and injured five others before taking his own life. And in his suicide note, he stated that he was angry at God for the death of his premature infant daughter that had occurred nine years prior. And his wife said to the media that her husband was getting back at the Lord. This tormented man did not know how to forgive. But the Amish community did. A grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls said of the killer on the day of the murder, we must not think evil of this man. The Amish community members visited and comforted the shooter's widow, parents, and parents-in-law. One Amish man held the shooter's sobbing father in his arms 
reportedly for as long as an hour to comfort him. They even went so far as to set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. You see, in a tragedy that makes all of our stomachs churn, the Amish community in Lancaster forgave and forgave and forgave, and it leaves us in awe. But it also leaves us uncomfortable. Should they have forgiven in this way? You see, sometimes the situations requiring forgiveness are complex. And I know that many of you or some of you here are in very complex situations. It's not easy at all to think about forgiving someone who's hurt or harmed or abused you or caused trauma in your life. And in some of these situations, the people aren't even remotely close to being at a place where they're asking for forgiveness. And so it seems impossible to forgive them. And you're not even sure that you should. And so if you find yourself in a situation that's complex and you don't know if you should forgive, you don't know if you even can forgive, I can't offer you any quick tips for forgiveness. What I can offer you is an invitation that we will journey with you in a non-judgmental way. We will hear what you've been going through and we'll pray with you and we'll seek after the Lord together and we'll walk with you through this situation. Forgiveness is hard. And I want to acknowledge that as I've been studying for this passage, I've seen how Christian thinkers don't agree on whether we should ever forgive someone who's not repentant, if we should ever forgive someone who hasn't first asked for forgiveness. And it is my personal conviction that we should. When Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts, and then he explains it to Peter, he says we should never cease to forgive a brother or sister. And remember, Peter did not say that this person had come and asked for forgiveness. And yet that doesn't mean we exclude this radical forgiveness to our community because Jesus says in Mark's gospel, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So he calls us not only to have this radical posture of forgiveness towards our brothers and sisters in the church, but to anyone. And of course, on the cross, Jesus offered forgiveness to us before we ever asked for it, praying, Father, forgive them. But I want to say this, you don't always have to say the words, I forgive you to someone in order to forgive them. You don't have to sit down with them. You don't have to put yourself in an unsafe scenario. If you need to forgive someone who's been harming you, or you need to forgive someone who is doing that and hasn't changed, yes, you need to figure out what that means and it's complicated, but you have to remove yourself from unsafe scenarios. That's okay. But the, the importance of understanding that we can forgive someone without saying it to them really matters because some of you have been harmed by someone who has since died. And that doesn't mean that you've lost out on the chance to forgive them from your heart. As Jesus says in the parable of the unforgiving servant, he wants to see forgiveness out of our hearts. You can forgive without saying it to the person. You can forgive from the heart, and this really does matter. This isn't just privatizing forgiveness. Because I've never seen unforgiveness do anything good for the human heart. Think about it. Have you ever met someone who is unable to forgive for maybe even just reasons, 
and seen it produce something good in them, something healthy or whole. Unforgiveness does nothing good for us. And so again, I want to remind you, if you're stuck in a complex situation where you don't know if you can forgive or how to forgive or if you even should, we don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed of that. We get that there's complex and hard situations and we'd invite you to journey with us. But whether we find ourselves in complex or more simple situations that require forgiveness, forgiveness is never solely a human response. Forgiveness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is describing people in the Sermon on the Mount who've already entered the kingdom, who've already been filled with the Spirit, who can live this way by God's enabling grace. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian Jew during the Second World War, and her father and sister and other family members helped hide other Jews in their home to keep them safe from Nazis. But unfortunately, they were all, they were all caught. And they're all sent away to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And there her father and her sister died and other family members. But she survived. And she spent most of the rest of her life speaking to others about forgiveness. And many years later, she was in a small church in Germany. And she recognized a man walking up to her. And she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from the concentration camp she was in. And she was triggered and she was immediately back in time seeing him as if he was that guard still. And he came up to her and he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrück. And in that moment, she said, I just felt cold. I felt angry. And she could remember having to walk past this man naked, traumatized. And he said to her, I've become a Christian now. I know I've done some cruel things. I've received forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I've asked God's grace for the opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. And then he said to her, Corey Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And here's her words. I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. I was not able. I could not forgive. I could only hate him. Then I prayed. Thank you, Jesus, that you've brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who's given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You've never touched the ocean of God's love as when you forgive your enemies. Corey Tamboom, left to her own heart, could not forgive, and we understand. But she prayed. And through the Holy Spirit's cooperation in her heart, she was able to love. And out of her love, she was able to forgive. So what are the practical steps for us? It is crucial that you understand that Jesus didn't just head to the cross out of dutiful obedience. Yes, he was fulfilling God's desire. But love paved the way to the cross. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love paves the way for forgiveness. And it's the same for us. We need a reservoir of love big enough so that forgiveness can flow out of our love. And if we want that reservoir of love, if we want more love, according to Jesus, we need to understand the extent to which each of us have been forgiven. And so the first thing we can do is prayerfully meditate upon how God has forgiven our own inconceivable, insurmountable, and inexcusable debt. And when we do, we will love in proportion to how much we've been forgiven. The psychologist David Benner writes this. Receiving God's embrace of love in the midst of my most profound awareness of my sin cannot help but propel me through self-preoccupation toward more authentic love. The humbling encounter with the depths of my sin leads to a love for God that is grounded in an appreciation for grace. And any genuine encounter with grace has the effect of deepening my love of others. You see, as we learn to swim in the ocean of God's love for us, that becomes our reservoir to forgive. And like Corey Tamboom, we can pray and the Spirit will enable us to forgive in situations where we didn't think it was possible. It's not on us alone. But we have to remember in this passage, Jesus is saying forgiveness is foundational to the kingdom. He's making us squirm because it's that essential. This world cannot be remade without forgiveness. The kingdom cannot come unless God first forgives us in order to reconcile all things to himself. But when we forgive, we become ambassadors of this kingdom. We become signs of the world to come as it inbreaks here and we become the message of what Christ has done for all on the cross.